nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I have utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek me hurt, speak of ruin, and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. For you, But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Ryan Loskern, Senator Lamar Alexander's chief of staff, uh, had a secret. He was addicted to child pornography. He had illegal DVDs on his computer, and he shared the pictures with others. Agents raided his house in December, found the pornographic material. He was arrested, fired. His story was front-page news for many days. And a month after his arrest, facing 10 years in prison, Ryan Loskern committed suicide. And he left behind a note, and part of it said, On December 11, 2013, I was arrested for possession of child pornography. Writing those few words took a long time. Seeing them in print is agony. But I owe many, many people an explanation. The news coverage of my spectacular fall makes it impossible for me to crawl in a hole and disappear. I've heard every single human being I've ever known, and the details of my shame are preserved on the Internet for all time. There's no escape. My family's been wounded beyond description. My former boss and colleagues had their trust broken and their names dragged through the mud for no reason other than association. Friends question whether they ever really knew me. Everyone wants to know why. And I've asked God. I've asked myself. I've talked with clergy and counselors and psychiatrists. I spent five days on suicide watch in the psychiatric ward at a D.C. jail, fixated on the why and how questions. Why did I do this? How can I kill myself? I've shared the most private details of my life with others in the effort to find an answer. 
And there seem to be many answers and none at all. Sadly, this young man was so overcome with shame uh, that he lost all hope of living. And he despaired of ever finding forgiveness of his sin or healing for the brokenness that contributed to it. When we sin, when we do things that embarrass us, when we make mistakes that hurt the people that we love, and when we, when we feel so ashamed by that, how do we then move from that place of shame and guilt and pain towards God and healing? What, what is the, the way out of that? King David, of course, wrestled with that question. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He then arranged a murder to cover it up. Eventually, as it always happens, it always happens, the truth came out and the prophet Nathan confronted him with his sins. And tradition has it that David then wrote the seven penitential psalms that we find in the book of Psalms. And Psalm 38 is one of those. Now, these are a little different than the laments that we've been uh, reading about and then sharing with each other so powerfully this this Lent. Uh, These laments, as tonight we experienced, and and last week's powerful word by Stephen and the others of you that have shared, most of the laments in the Bible and most of the laments in our life uh, are, are about things that have happened to us. We live in a fallen, broken world, and in, in an unfair and unjust world, and, and many times things happen that just aren't right, and we have to lament them. But there are times when the pain is especially excruciating because I did it to myself, because I, I created the problem, I made bad choices. And in my experience, both pastorally and personally, sometimes that's the hardest Uh, the hardest guilt to have rubbed away is is just the stain on my soul that I created by my own bad choices. So how do you move towards God when you've blown it? Well, David's lament shows a man trying to do that. And, And he begins, we've been using this threefold pattern of protest, petition, praise. And he, he begins in the first 14 verses by protesting, by complaining, by just kind of diving in and talking about what he experiences as someone who has been convicted of, of a sin. And he just lets it fly. He says, he says, God, don't rebuke me in your anger. Stop disciplining me. God, it's like you're shooting arrows into my soul. Now, one of the things that's interesting background to this is David seemed to be managing this okay until the prophet Nathan confronted him with his sin. And, and this is one of the remarkable things about the human heart and how twisted and deceptive it can be is that we are able to compartmentalize and minimize and justify and rationalize and blame and defect and somehow live with sin. And sometimes the Lord in His severe mercy will expose that sin because He knows it's going to take us out. 
And once that exposure happens, it's like the Holy Spirit is permitted to, to start working on our hearts. And that's what happens in David's life. The Holy Spirit just starts to convict him of sin. And, and, and he says, Lord, it's like I'm experiencing your anger and your wrath. And we might think, well, thank God for the cross. We don't know that kind of pain anymore. But, beloved, you do. Not the sense of you're going to be punished for your sins because the cross has taken that punishment. But you still, I still encounter the anger and wrath of God when I live in ways that grieve Him. He is a person. He is my Father. We are in relationship. And when I set my life on a pattern that moves against the Father's will, if I'm in relationship with Him, I taste that. I feel that. And David is very sensitive to the presence of God. He walks closely with God. And so he says, this is killing me. And David then goes on to say that the guilt's even affecting them physically. And he, he says, there's no health in my bones because of my sin. My sides are, are burning. I feel crushed. My strength fails me. Now, some uh, people that I was reading about on this verse think that Perhaps David contracted a, a disease um, as a result of his adultery, and that he, you know, obviously this was long before penicillin, and that maybe he was talking about, um, maybe he was talking about the effects of of an STD. That could be, I suppose. But what struck me is, if you have really been broken over your sin, if you've done something that you are really ashamed of. That guilt can make you feel sick. It can just wear you out. And if you don't confess it, and you live a double life, and you hide it, it eats away at your soul. So sometimes sin can affect us, even physically. And, and not, not to, to go too far with this, I, I, I think not always, but sometimes... If, if there's this great gap between who I am in Christ and how I'm living, the tension of that can, can cause my body to break down, cause my stomach to break down, uh, create all sorts of internal problems, because we weren't designed to live that way. Now, a question I think it's fair to ask, and, and I've often thought about in my own life and, and as I've walked with, with you, how bad should I feel when I sin? And how long should I feel badly about my sin? In other words, let's put it like this. What is the difference between an appropriate sadness over my sin and a shameful uh, self-flagellation? You know the difference? They look a little bit alike, but they're very different, aren't they? And I think one verse in 2 Corinthians 10, can, or 7, 10, provides a little bit of help. Paul says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. I think that's a pretty helpful uh, way to discern whether you are feeling genuine guilt or you're feeling satanic shame is that a genuine guilt moves you towards God. It moves you towards salvation. It's painful. It hurts. But there's hope in it. 
there's redemption in it, and it's leading towards healing. A shaming, a toxic shaming, a self-flagellation is essentially a denial of the cross. It's essentially living in Lent. You don't want to live in Lent forever, do you? I'm like ready to be over with Lent. That kind of guilt is not believing that you're forgiven. So one of the things you might ask in your own life about the things that you feel bad about, uh, the, the, the stains on your soul, the mistakes that you've made, the failures in your past, is, is, is that feeling of sadness moving you towards God and the cross, or is it moving you towards self-hatred? A healthy guilt moves me towards God. Well, it's true that this was a public sin by a public man, and we might equate this with a president doing something wrong, but the church has used all seven of the penitential psalms, and this one, for every believer to deal with their everyday sins. Uh, Traditionally, the church reads them during Lent. Uh, They're in the Book of Common Prayer on Ash Wednesday. St. Augustine read them on his deathbed. Um, They're for us. They're not just for the big sinners. Uh, they're, they're for us. And I, I think, you know, as we've said all through this series, David didn't go through all these emotions in, in 15 minutes. He's describing you know, his, his, his journey here in, in this. And so I think these psalms can teach us how to deal with our sin. And one of the places that you might start tonight, one of the places you could begin is to, to start to journal... Or talk with a friend just about the state of your soul. And and maybe kind of just take a little spiritual MRI and and look at some of the things that just aren't quite right. All Souls has given me a tremendous gift ever since we started of of, uh, some money for continuing education. And in my younger years, I used that to go to different conferences and learn how to be a better pastor. I still could profit for that, I'm sure. But lately, uh, the past years, I've gone to a monastery uh, for a spiritual retreat. And that's what I did last, last week. Um, and I, I guess I got there on, on Sunday, and, and I just wrote in my journal. I was trying to follow this process, kind of checking in with where I am. And I wrote, my soul feels murky, muddy, weary, and tired. Meeting with Daryl. Reverend Daryl Arnold of the Overcoming Believers Church in East Knoxville. I noticed a freshness and aliveness that's not alive in me right now. I've not had a lot of desire to spend time with you, Abba. This is my Lenten retreat. I'm here to make confession, to expose sin, to root out the sins and keep me from you. I'm here to lament, to break up the fallow ground, the crust that covers my heart. Now, there are times when we know exactly what we've done. But more often than not, it's a vague sense of drifting away from God. And one of the things I learned from this psalm is that if you just take stock of where you are, that can begin to put you on a trail that will lead you to your disconnection from God. Well, after David talks about the symptoms of his sin, he moves into petition, to prayer, very simple prayers. He says... I confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin. Don't forsake me. And with a few simple words, he begins to move 
back towards God. Now, again, I think this is kind of an outline for how the people of God deal with this. One of the things that I would suggest to you is that the more detailed and clear your confession is, the more you will experience God's forgiveness and release. The more detailed and clear your confession is, the more you'll experience God's forgiveness and release. Uh, I'm sorry for not loving my family well is good. I'm sorry for not listening well to my son after dinner last night because I was preoccupied with a problem at work is better. I'm sorry for not being more generous is good. I'm sorry that I've lived so beyond my means that I have $12,000 in credit card debt and haven't given a dime to anybody for a year is better. One of the purposes of of Lent is to try to discern the sins that God wants us to deal with. And and we're not going to stay here. Uh, If you're a guest, we don't do this every week. This is Lent. (laughs) This is an annual cleaning that we, we look at. And so one of the things that we're trying to do during Lent is discern the sin that God wants you to deal with this year. What does he have his finger on in your life this year? And and so one of the things that I did out in, in the monastery was I spent some time reflecting on the seven deadly sins and just asking him, would you show me, Lord, which of these am I struggling with? And Pride, envy, anger, sloth, avarice, gluttony, and lust. And, and I realized that, that, first of all, I was struggling with, uh, with uh, sloth. And I, I was surprised by that. Uh, I don't think of myself as a slothful person. But one of the things I realized was that simply being active and busy for the Lord does not protect you from sloth. And where I've been slothful, I realized, was that as my ministry had become more active more engaged in the community, I had stopped spending significant time with the Lord. I was still doing some, but not enough. So the Lord convicted me of of sloth. And then uh, the second one was was pride that expressed itself as judgment. And it was so interesting. If you start to ask the Lord to show you this, He will show it to you. But you have to ask, usually. And so I was journaling about this one day, and they have this little, it's not really a library, these are kind of rustic um, um, facilities, but there's a few books, and a, we were sitting there kind of in the dark, and there was a guy next to me, and I'd, I'd, I'd met the guy briefly before, and you're not really supposed to talk out there, and that's not why you're there, but we'd had a brief interchange. And, and I realized that he was, he was a part of a movement in the body of Christ that I didn't like. Didn't really respect very much. Disagreed with its theology. And I don't think I was fully conscious of it, but I made a note to self, stay away from John. And so we wound up, as it were, in this, uh, this little library thing, and we were there about two hours. He was quiet, I was quiet, and, and I'm not proud of this, but I looked at what he was reading, and I thought, and I'm reading a much better book. <laughs> I really did think that. Because I, I knew the author of what he was reading, and I didn't 
like what he was saying. And so I'm kind of going through all this, and you know, that movement does this and that. And so two hours goes by, we haven't talked, and he says, Brother, do you believe in prophecy? Now, again, we've said like three words, and I've been judging him for two hours. <laughs> and the first thing that occurs to me is, you've been judging his book. He's been praying for you. Nice. And, and I don't know about you, but whenever anybody says, do you believe in prophecy? I get nervous. But I had to tell them, oh boy, oh boy. So I, I said, I do. And, and he went on to share a really tender word that I think was probably from God. And I just was so blown away. Here I am, judging his book, and he's praying for me. So, my Sunday confession was, Lord, I am so tired and I feel far from you. My Wednesday confession was, Lord, I've been slothful. I've not kept Sabbath. I'm addicted to my phone. I check it in the bathroom. I don't believe that you can handle things if I go offline. I've been proud. I judged the man who ate next to me tonight because he had two pieces of bread and was overweight. Can you imagine going to a monastery and thinking about how many pieces of bread the man next to me is taking? It's like the Lord, you ask the Lord to show you this stuff. It's like, oh, you really want to see? It's like, oh, forgive me for judging. But I'll tell you this, the deeper and clearer my confession became, the more renewed and re-energized I felt. It's a beautiful thing. Just a beautiful thing. Have you been able to make a deep and clear confession this Lent? Now I know it's, it's, a, it's a privilege that you've given me to allow me to go to a monastery. It's also when you're as thick-headed as me, it takes that <laughs> to, to get there. I know not everybody gets to do that. But have have you created a little bit of space in your life this Lent where you've gone from, I feel a little far from you, Lord, to this is what's going on, and I am really sorry about it. It's not too late. You can do that work. You can do that work. You know, someone said to me once, repentance is like descending a staircase. I know who, it came up when a a marriage was really blown up in a, the wife didn't feel the, the husband had repented enough. And this idea, we talked about this idea that repentance is like a, a staircase, that often we start here, but the more we're with the Lord and keep walking, we, we descend and it gets clearer and clearer and, and clear. Now, you don't want to stay in that staircase forever. But maybe, maybe you could go down a step or two. This We're almost done. I mean, Sunday's coming. (laughs) The tomb's going to split here. So maybe you could go down a step or two more. Just a step or two. Well, David does work his way to praise. He does say, For you, O Lord, do I wait. It's you, O Lord, my God, who will answer me. He, he He gets to the point where He knows God enough 
that he knows it's going to be okay. And it occurred to me that this is really something that's important in the work of confession and repentance is the degree to which you know the character of God. Because if, if you don't, you're not going to run to him in confession. You're just not. David knew God. He knew God's grace and he knew God's love and so that's why he could return to him. On the last night of the retreat, a dear little lady that was there, and again, we don't talk very much, but there was a little discussion group that we had that was kind of processing things. and um, she, she shared her story and just said that uh, her grandson had moved in with her to go to the University of New Mexico, and he, he had a mental illness. And one night... Um, um, he hung himself in his bedroom, and and she she found him, and she was just torn up, just torn up. And, and as we talked with her a little bit, one of the things that I realized was she really didn't know who God was, and so trying to move towards him. Was, was really hard for her. And we said, what do you think God would say to you right now? And she said, visit the poor more. Work harder. That's the last thing God That's the last thing God would say to you if you found your grandson hanging by a belt in the closet is work harder, visit the poor more. I think he'd say, I lost a kid too. Come, let me hold you. You can't really do the work of confession if you're not convinced that God is just crazy about you. And he knows your secrets already, and it breaks his heart to see you hold on to them because it's destroying you, and he's pleading with you, come, tell me, tell me. Tell your people, tell your brother, tell your secrets. Tell your secrets. And you're thinking, if I do that, it's over. And he's thinking, if you don't, it will be. Now this dear lady said that she... I went to one of the priests for confession, and you know, it's not my tradition. I, we don't really do that. There's theological reasons why we don't do that. But it occurred to me, what do we do? You know, it's easy to, to say, "Well, that's kind of mechanistic to have everybody go visit a priest before Easter before they can take communion." Yeah, that's kind of legalistic. Well, what do you do? What do I do? I think we don't. I think we tell him halfway. But James 5.16, I mean, that's not just in the Catholic Bible. Last time I checked. Uh, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray with one another that you may be healed. I, I really, I plead with you this Lent to do this with one person. Share your secret. 
Share your secret. One person. Share your secret. I don't know why. I don't know the psychology of it. I don't know the spirituality of it. But I, I know this. I can tell God my sins and experience some forgiveness. But when I'm sitting down with a brother, and I, I would encourage you to do this with someone in the same sex because you can get very intimate and it could lead to other bad things. Do it with the same sex. Is that when you share that, and this person who you're in community with grabs your hands, looks you in the eyes, doesn't fix, doesn't explain, doesn't rationalize, doesn't say, yeah, well, I struggle. They say, God forgives you, and I do too. There is something about feeling the sweaty palms of another sinner and looking through their glasses and them communicating grace to you that cements it. We need that. We need that. Well, as you might imagine, the monks really get into Lent. <laughs> um, not a lot of desserts last week. Um, a lot of Old Testament readings. And, and this one monk I, I met was named Father John. He was a Wall Street attorney um, who, who was on a pilgrimage in Yugoslavia, met God, went home, sold all his, all his investments and became a monk. He's been there. He's been a monk ever since. And one of the things you, you get to do in a monastery if you want is in the morning the monks work. And so we worked building a... a a brick wall, a stone wall in the monk graveyard. That's one of the deals with monks is you're supposed to go in and not go out. You can go in the graveyard. <laughs> it's a, a high-commitment organization. <laughs> and, <laughs> they're looking for a few good men. Um, so, so we're building this, This, you know, we're, we're about 40 graves, and we're walking along the graves, and we're building this brick wall. And, and Father John, when we're about done, he says, I love Easter. And we were getting ready to put this fire pit in where the monks gather on Easter morning. We said, why, Father John, what do you love? He said, it is, and he's got this thick New York accent, and I won't try to imitate it, it would ruin it. But he says, monks get to do the craziest things. And I said, really? You know, that's not my impression. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you guys aren't really living on the edge. He said, no, 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 no. He said, uh, we start at 3 in the morning on Easter Sunday morning. And it's pitch black in the chapel. And we go through this liturgy, and the sun starts to come up with the mountain range, and then we put all our hoods up. He says, I love wearing that hood. And we said, we put all our hoods up, and then we grab everything in the whole place that you can bang or ding or tingle and ring, and we start shaking it. And we go down to the fire, and we tingle and dance, and we praise and sing, and the sun comes up, and we celebrate Easter, and we all go take a nap. (laughs) And he was so excited as he was talking about that. And I thought, you know, one of the reasons why Father John loves Easter is because he works through Lent. He does the hard work of repentance. He gets in touch with the darkness in his soul. He confesses his sin. As I love the way they do it in my heart. They physically express themselves. And, and then on Sunday morning, when the sun comes over the Chama mountain range, they explode with praise and joy. Beloved, it's not too late 
for you to have Lent. If you're like me, you're probably thinking, I have not done nearly what I wanted to do this Lent. I have messed it up. It's okay. We all have messed it up. You've got two weeks left. Start walking down the stairs. And grab one person and tell your secret. Let's pray.